This is Chad Harrison, and you're listening to Hope Alive, applying God's word to your daily life. Hi, this is Chad Harrison, and I am the teaching pastor of Lake Community Church and have been serving as a pastor for 25 years. I'm also a practicing attorney. This podcast is designed to help you study God's word and find God's will for your life. I pray in the name of Jesus right now that God would open up his word to you and allow you to see him and to know him and to know his will, that you might glorify him and that you might walk in faith and power each and every day, especially today in Jesus name. Good morning. Welcome to Lake Community Church's morning Bible study. We're in Exodus chapter 34, verse 5. Uh, Remember, Moses has cut out the stones and taken them up for God to write his commandments on it. Uh, I do want you to notice that the story is really not about God writing his commandments on the stones. God, that the, the prior story was about that, and it's an important story, important understandings. But we have this new thing happening, and in fact... We're going to see tomorrow that it's actually actually God God declares the Lord God Jesus declares that it is a new commandment a new covenant so it is it is the replacement of the covenant prior to the rebellion of the people in the camp when they made the golden calf so it is a it is a it's a commandment it's a a covenant it's a new covenant and God comes down. And Moses goes up on the mountain. He's, he's already cut the two tablets up. He carried them up the mountain, which is a picture of carrying his, there's, there's an aspect of him carrying his burden, his sin, up on the mountain. And not only is the aspect of it, it's a pretty clear picture of it. And he carries those stones up there. They're a picture of the hard-heartedness of man. And as he goes up there with those stones, God comes down. And it says, now the Lord descended. And remember when God, when, when in Scripture, oftentimes, and I know there's a cult that, that messes this up, so oftentimes we, we shy away from it because we don't want to deal, we don't want to give any, lend any credence to that cult. But the Lord God, generally speaking, when you see Jehovah God in the Old Testament, that is Jesus. And that wouldn't lend credence to that cult because they don't believe Jesus was God until he was born, that God made him God, but made him God after he was born a man. Anyway, that's a side note. In all actuality, Jehovah God in the Old Testament is, generally speaking, pointing to Jesus, the pre-incarnate Christ, coming and dealing with man. And in fact, even in creation, you have Adonai making, Adonai declaring, Adonai saying light, saying, speaking the universe into existence. But then you have the Lord God forming, the Lord God forming and making and, and remaking. So the Lord God is Jesus who is forming what the what Adonai, the Father, has willed to be. And so when you're studying through Scripture, a lot of times in the Old Testament, when you see now the Lord, now it's not all the time, but when you see the Lord, you are literally seeing a reference to the pre-incarnate Jesus. It is God's God at work in his creation, actually physically at work in his creation. And we know that Jesus is the physical manifestation of God. So if God's at work in his creation and, and Jesus is the physical manifestation of God at work in his creation, then obviously Jesus is God at work in his creation. He is the Lord God. So now the Lord descended in the cloud, and he stood with him there. Now, 
I, that obviously has an allusion to Jesus also because he descended, he ascended into heaven after his resurrection on a cloud. And, and the Bible in Revelation clearly says, behold, he cometh in the clouds. These allusions in the Old Testament to the New Testament Christ are, are clear and you can see them. He descended in a cloud and notice he stood with him there. There is a element of God uh, coming and standing before uh, Moses, there's a, there is a it's, a, it's really camaraderie. It's really a, it's really a personal time to stand and to talk with, with the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed. Notice the Lord passed before him, which means that God was on the move. There is a, this is, there, there's activity happening here that is changing things and that is altering things. And so he, he, he says now that he, I, I missed the little phrase in chapter five and he proclaimed the name of the Lord. So what happened is God stood with Moses. He came and he proclaimed the name of the Lord, which means that he in some way taught Moses about who he was because anytime God is proclaiming his name, his names, reference aspects of who he is. Remember, there's no one name of God that could in any way, no, there's no human term that can any way adequately explain who God is. And so if there's no human term, one singular human term that could adequately explain God, who God is, how does God reveal himself in the human language? He reveals himself through his word, but one of the ways he reveals him, himself in the human language is that he gives himself names that point to aspects of his character and nature. And so when God comes and proclaims his name to us, when he comes and stands with us, proclaims his name to us, what he's doing is he's revealing his nature to us. And so the Lord God, Jesus, came and stood with Moses and he proclaimed his name to him, which means he, he revealed to him aspects of his character and nature that Moses did not know did not necessarily understand. Moses is growing in this process, and the Lord passed before him, so he came, stood with him, proclaimed his name, and then he moves before him so that Moses can see how those aspects of his character are at work. And the Lord, and, the, and then he proclaimed, the Lord God, merciful and gracious. Now notice, these are clear New Testament understandings, these are pointing to the fulfillment of all the covenants of the Old Testament in Jesus Christ. This is literally Jesus proclaiming his plan for eternity, future, his plan for what is going to be going on when he comes as a man. He is merciful and gracious, meaning now you go, what is the difference between those two? And I, I do realize sometimes I, I move on past things that I need to explain over and over again because they're very important concept, concepts. Merciful is not receiving what I deserve. And what do I deserve? I deserve condemnation. I deserve death. I deserve separation from God. When God does not do those things to me, he is being merciful to me. And grace is, or graciousness is, receiving what I do not deserve, meaning God has prepared for me that which I have not earned on my own, which he earned for me. And so when he is merciful, he's not giving me what I do deserve. When he's gracious, he's giving me what I don't deserve. And if you're a human being, if you're a human being on the face of the earth, you need God's mercy, 
because you don't want what you actually deserve from him. And you love his grace because it is receiving what he has prepared and paid for you that you could not do for yourself. So we want him to be good. We want him to be merciful. We want him to be gracious. Notice he's he is he is showing these things to Moses and revealing these things to Moses. And Moses may have understood aspects of this, but remember Moses has been a tool of his judgment against Egypt. Uh, Moses, up until this point, has operated as a as a force for God's judgment against the world. Now God in after and even after Moses went down with the Ten Commandments and he broke them and he they slaughtered the rebellion once notice in every aspect of that he continued crossing the red sea and destroying pharaoh's army he is a he is a he is a tool of god's judgment against sin and against the world and now we go up he goes up on the mountaintop after this great failure of god's people after he's had to take the tabernacle outside the gates of the uh, outside not the gates but outside the camp and set it up after he's gone through this, what would for most leaders be a huge failure of leadership, a huge failure of direction. Once he's done that, God comes down and reveals to himself, reveals to Moses that God has a plan that is beyond judgment and beyond and beyond his wrath being poured out on mankind. He has a plan beyond that. And what is that plan? That plan is to reveal the aspect of his nature that is merciful and gracious. That is long-suffering. And long-suffering is one of the aspects of God. Being patient is one of the things we don't want to do as human beings, but it's one of those things we sure want God to do. And it's one of the things we want God to be in his life, in his approach to us. We want him to be long-suffering because we just struggle to get things right over and over again in our lives. We struggle, struggle to be and become who God wants us to be. And he is long-suffering for that. He is He's patient and kind toward us because he understands that we are in the condition that we're in. And so to hate patience is to literally hate the aspect of God that makes it possible for us to experience his mercy and grace. And that is just not something we should be. We should always desire patience and desire to wait and not to have to act in judgment uh, in your own life, when you want to attack and deal with something, let's get this dealt with. We need to deal with it right now. When when, when we're going to deal with this tonight, sometimes that's not the way to handle it. Sometimes that's, uh, in fact, most of the time it's not the way to handle it because the aspect of God who would, which would cause that to happen in our lives to be judgment and death and destruction and separation doesn't happen because he is patient waiting for the opportunity to reveal his mercy and grace. He's long-suffering, and he's abounding in goodness and truth, meaning over time he reveals his goodness and truth in us because he's not quick to anger and quick to wrath. He is quick to, to be patient and to wait and to allow the opportunities for his goodness and truth to be made known. He keep he, he's keeping mercy for thousands, meaning he's holding on to mercy for for long periods of time. He's holding on to that mercy and he's willing 
to forgive iniquity and transgression and sin. He's forgiven those things that are that that seem like they're just going to take us out and destroy us. He's forgiving those things and he's giving and he is paying for and, and taking care of our iniquity, our transgression, our sin. He says, by no means clearing the guilty, meaning he's not saying that you're not guilty of sin. He's not proclaiming that there's no such thing as sin. He says, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children to the third and fourth generation. What is he saying? He makes sure that you understand that sin continues to get passed down and that he's got to be this because it continues to happen. And oftentimes we can get so focused on God's grace to not realize that the people that we're trying to help experience God's grace are really struggling with the iniquity of their fathers that have been passed down from generation to generation. And God says, listen, I this is a long-term work. This is a work that takes, it just takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and a lot of energy. And it's not something that 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 happens overnight. It does not happen overnight. And it can happen overnight. It is sozo or salvation in the New Testament. It is the process of God bringing about his plan, his will, his purposes, and his salvation in our lives. And it, it's a long-term process. And it, it just it, it is the essence of God to be merciful, to be gracious, to be long-suffering, to be realizing that he, he does not, he does, and he's truthful in his mercy. He makes sure that we understand what sin is. We, you know, we understand what iniquity is. And, and he, over long periods of time, uh, allows us to see the sins that are passed on by the generations before us and to struggle with them and even to break those bonds and break those chains and uh, to set generations ahead of us free because of that, that going on over and over again in people's lives and that going on in the kingdom of God. And that's what it's all about. That's really what it's all about. And that's what we want it to be about. That's what. That's why I say to, to believers who really want to see big things in their life in the kingdom of God, you got to be long-suffering yourself. You got to keep showing up. You got to keep doing the things over and over again that God uh, has revealed to you are effective and important because those who come behind you need to experience them also. And just because they're something old hat for you doesn't mean that they're old hat for us. I see some of the, as we're having vacation Bible school and we're seeing it's a huge group of kids that God has blessed us with. And this is new for them. This is a new, these are new experiences for them. I remember going to vacation Bible school and I'm sure some people that are 20 years older than me remember going to vacation Bible school and remember doing all those things. And that seemed like that's just old things that we used to do back in the day. It's not. And the excitement of kids worshiping God, hearing God's word, being a part of what God's doing in his kingdom at his church. That's something that we, as a 50-year-old pastor, I could very easily say that's just something we need to let the people who deal with the children do. That's not how that works. I need to be in the middle of that because those are the experiences, those are the things, the processes, the spending time with teenagers and teaching them God's discipline, uh, disciplines and how to walk with God and uh, dealing with young couples and their marriage and, and their struggles and their, and their relationships with God. You just keep going through all the steps and aspects of life. And just because you've been through them doesn't mean that you don't need to be long-suffering with those who are going through them and helping them and enjoying seeing the hand of God at work over and over again, doing the things he does uh, throughout life. We, we need to be doing that all the time. And if you're going to really experience God in his fullness and his grace, 
You've got to sit down and go through those experiences over and over and over and over again, over and over and over and over again. And watching even Pastor Terry and Pastor Jimmy and some of our, our older leaders be there, Herb, who's in his 80s, and he he diligently set up all set up a lot of the uh, a lot of the displays and a lot of the decorations all these things seeing people doing it over and over again because we know the importance of doing kingdom work over and over again in people's lives is where we really find peace empowering and where we really find the kingdom at work and i pray that you will take a look at this passage and see god revealing his eternal plan in the midst of showing moses okay now we're going to move from uh, judgment and uh, uh, wrath against sin and against the world. And we're fixing to move to kingdom work, which is grace and mercy and power being poured out on his people when they're obedient to his word and obedient to his truth and they'll walk by faith. And that's what this really, this new covenant story is about. It's about learning those things. May, may the kingdom always be before us and may we see the hand of God continually at work in everything that goes on around us. And may we know it, may we walk in it, and may we love it each and every day. As you go today, I pray that the Lord will bless you and keep you, that he'll make his face to shine upon you, and that he will give you hope and peace today in Jesus' name.